The call to worship this morning comes from Romans 12, 15 through 18. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of lower position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay evil with evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Um, Our scripture of the Old Testament today is found in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The New Testament reading is 1 Thessalonians 2, through 6 through 12. We were not looking for praise from any human being, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our prerogative prerogatives Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her child, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil, our toil, toil and hardship. We uh, worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For, for you know that we dealt with each other as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Good morning. Today's sermon title is Learning to Fly in the Nest. And that didn't used to make sense to me. I thought how birds learn to fly was that the parent bird would just kind of take the little chickadee up to the edge of the nest and knock them out. And they learn pretty quick on the way down. How many of you thought that's how birds learn to fly? So did I. And you see that in movies and cartoons. They say, oh, you know, you just kick them out. And you hear parents sometimes. Well, you know, we just need to take our kids and just kind of kick them out of the nest. You know, they just got to get out there and learn. So I did a little research, learned the value of that. I found out that birds, baby birds, are growing in the nest, that their muscles and their wings are developing, and they kind of flap around in the nest a little bit and flex things. But in a recent study, they found that even if you constrain the bird so that they can't do that, they still know how to fly on the day that they jump out of the nest. Isn't that crazy? How do they do that? It's implied that they are watching the adult birds do it. Yes, the muscles are developing. The neuro, neutron, whatever, Ted, fix me on this. I don't know this stuff. It's all developing, but when they're watching, they're learning. And on the day when the parents get them up to the edge, the parents jump off and fly, and the chickadees kind of sit there, and off they go. They've learned by watching. They've learned from that model. This is a lot like what you just read, Proverbs 22.6. 
Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. The parts we're going to focus on here are train up in the way they should go. How do we train them up? Let's start there. How do we train them up? Do we just tell them things? Or do we walk with them and show them in our life how it's done? Yesterday, Josh, you called your dad, right? What did you call your dad and ask him to do? I do, because he told me. <laughs> he said you called him up because you wanted to learn how to drive some more. You have some hours to get in. So you called him up, and he drove from where he was, and he got the car to you, and you got to drive, right? All right. What if Ted had received this phone call for the very first time, not having ever taken Josh out, and said, oh, well, um, you know, Josh, I don't really have time right now, um, but I'll just tell you what to do. Here's what you do. Get the keys, go out to the garage, sit down, buckle your seatbelt, put the keys in the ignition, put your right foot on the brake, don't let your left foot do anything. Two pedals, one foot. Start the car, put it in reverse, look over your shoulder, look over the other shoulder, reverse the emergency brake. It will begin to roll as soon as you take your foot off the brake. You back out, stop the car, put it in drive. You got that? Josh is like, I think. And then he really jumps in. He says, okay, now as you drive, you need to proceed with caution. You need to look for things that are going on in the road. Be a defensive driver. Look in your mirrors every three to five seconds. Check all your mirrors. Know what's going on. As you get to a stop sign, if you get there first, you get to go. You have the right of way, but make sure you check. Somebody might be running it. Now, if you get there and somebody gets to the right first, they have the right of way, so you have to yield it. But if they're on the left, then you get to go first. Now, what happens if somebody gets on the right and the left at the same time, but it went right and then you and then the left? Well, it's the person on the right, but if they're both going straight, then the person person on the left can go too, and then you wait, and then you go. But, you know, you got all that? And he says, yeah, I kind of. And when you get to where you're going, park, but um, I'll teach you how to parallel park later. That's kind of tricky. And, um, oh, by the way, take your mom's car. <laughs> and he finishes. He says, oh, shoot, I forgot to tell him something. Don't text while you drive. <laughs> Is Josh going to get it? He's like... I got the information. How many of you would trust driving on the road with Josh? No. <laughs> because information doesn't necessarily mean transformation. But how many churches are giving information to our kids, expecting them to just transform, to just get it? That wouldn't work, would it? You can't just use your phone to tell people how to be a Christian. You have to model it. You have to help them live it and walk it while you're there with them, which is what happens. Ted brings the car down. Josh gets in. Ted buckles up and starts providing the instruction during the experience. That's like helping the bird learn to fly in the nest. So now the question is, if that's how we're going to train them, which way should we teach them to go? Train up a child in the way they should go. Which way are we telling them to go? Are we putting the focus on school, sports, getting a job, a certain hobby, certain behavior, relationships, marriage? A lot of parents, a lot of people are putting that as the focus that we're training them to go. But I believe what's better is to train them to go toward God and that in their going, they will do all those things God's way. So they're at school and on the job 
and in their marriage and in their relationships and doing their hobbies all for the glory of God in a way that would honor God. So the real question is, do we plan their activities or are we planning their character? There's a big difference there. And I see a lot of adults planning a lot of things for youth, but not really thinking about how they're developing the character. And when I say we, as we need to be doing these things, I mean all of it. So if you're a parent and you're saying, yeah, okay, it's not just for you, is it? You want the other adults in this church to come around your kids and say, yeah, let's model it. Let's live with these kids. Let's help them grow up. That is what it means to build a nest around our kids and help them learn to fly. And not just fly, but fly with and toward God. Well, that ties us into the other text that Joshie read. No, you didn't read it. Grant read it. First Thessalonians 2, 6 through 12. What's going on here? Verse 6, Paul is saying, I'm an adult authority in the church. I could come in and tell you what to do, but that's not what I did, remember? I didn't come in with my own prerogative. He moves on to say, instead, we were like young children. This means we were gentle with you. And then he goes on to say, like a nursing mother cares for her children, we cared for you. He comes in gently to this church. He tenderly cares for them, cherishing them. And then he builds up to verse 8, and this is the key. Listen to this. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We share with you the gospel. We tell you the good news of Jesus Christ but we share with you our heart and our minds and our soul. That was right in the hymn that we sang this morning. We share all of our lives with you, not just our information. We live life with you. Then he moves on to say, you remember we worked day and night. Paul, remember, was a tent maker by day and an evangelist in his spare time. He's talking here about how he worked so hard to make sure that he could earn a living so that the church wouldn't have to pay for him. He says, I'm trying not to be a burden to you. So he's gentle with them, he cherishes them, and he makes sure that he is not a burden. And unfortunately, I know parents who are burdening their children with much more than they should. Paul doesn't do that. Verse 10, you are witnesses of this. You saw how holy, righteous, and blameless they were among you. And then we get to 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging comforting, and urging. Say those words with me. You ready? Encouraging, comforting, and urging. One more time. Encouraging, comforting, and urging. We came to you as a father, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So you have this authority in the church who could tell people what to do, but instead he's gentle, he loves them, tenderly. He cherishes them. He shares with them his whole life, not just the gospel. He encourages, comforts, and urges them like a father. He's saying, I could just be an authority, but I'm going to treat you all like my children, and I'm going to build a nest around you so that you can learn to fly toward God and his kingdom with my support. Now, I work with teenagers. Most people in my church think that I love being with them all the time. Do you think that's true? (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I like teenagers a lot. But usually it goes like this. Friday night, the Bible study is going to be coming over. About 20 minutes before they come over, I say something to my wife like, oh, man, I just am not ready for this. 
I do not want to see them. I do not want to hear all the drama. I'm not ready for all the emotion. And then they come in, and within five, ten minutes, I'm in. <laughs> Peter's shaking his head. He's like, yeah. <laughs> Teen- you know, there, there's a secret clue to working with teenagers. It hooks you, and you're in. It's not easy. But what I find isn't easy is when I'm thinking about me. What am I thinking about Friday night before they show up? I'm tired. I don't want to deal with their behavior. I don't want to listen to what they're talking about. I'm thinking about me. But when I think about Paul and look at what he was thinking about, he was thinking about... He got his head into their life and said, you know what, I need to comfort them and encourage them and support them and love them and share my life with them. And then in the process, he just loved them. Earlier in this letter, he actually says, I love you so much. When we could stand it no longer, we came to you. He says, we can't stand being apart. That's how much he shared his life with them. So when we look at Paul and we see the way that he modeled this, it gives us a great model for how to be in the lives of the youth in our church and in the world. He shared the gospel, but his whole life. You see, we can't, we, can't chain, excuse me, we can't train children in the way they should go without sharing our lives that show which way we're going toward God and how we're getting there in a godly way. You can't just tell them. You have to model it with your life, which means you share your joys, your trials, your emotions, your thoughts, your experiences. You share your resources and your belongings. You share your questions and your answers. Because here's the problem. When all together, when they think we have all the answers, they have to have it all together and have all the answers to make it. But what I've learned is sometimes when I have a question for God, I toss it out to the kids. And I say, you know what? I'm really struggling with this. I don't understand this text. I don't understand this part of God. And then we get into the Scripture, and we read it, and we look at it, and we dig, and we think, and we analyze our thoughts compared to Scripture so that it's not just our thoughts and maybe what we learn from the world. But we look at it together, and they see us wrestling, and they see me wrestling, and they realize, well, if my youth pastor doesn't get it, then what does he do when he doesn't get it? Because that'll help me when I don't get it. To try to wrestle the way that he does. This is part of building a nest around them. Not just saying we have it all together, think this, but, you know, I'm really frustrated today. Let's talk about my frustration. They need to see this part of us, and the problem is a lot of them don't see it. They hear a lot of the expectations, but they're not seeing the rest. The key is that while they're in that nest... Whether their wings are constrained or not, what are they doing? They're watching. They're watching all the time. So when my four-year-old boy is in the back of the car and my wife goes through a yellow light and it turns red halfway through, what does my son say? Mommy, you ran a red light. And she said, no, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. I saw it turn red. He's watching (laughs) How is he learning how to drive? By watching us. They are watching all the time. So what are they seeing as they watch? Are they seeing us go to the Bible when we need strength and encouragement and truth? Are they seeing us use the Bible to contradict the things that we're hearing from the world? Are they hearing the way that we pray and when we pray and how we pray? 
that we go to God for our answers and turn our struggles over to him instead of calling people on the phone saying, hey, da 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 and then you solve it and you move on? Do we go to God? Are they hearing us talk to others about Jesus, or are they hearing us talk about the stress of life? When they watch us, are they seeing how we treat strangers in a godly way? Are they seeing how we treat our spouses? Are they seeing how we treat the marginalized? When they're listening, are they hearing that we handle arguments and conflict in a way that brings glory to God? Or are they just hearing dispute and aggression? Are they seeing, well, they are seeing what we spend our time on. Are they seeing that we're spending it on God and on others? Are they seeing what we spend our money on and that reflecting God? They need examples of how to live. The question is what example we're living. The Fuller Youth Institute reported a study. They didn't do the study, but they reported a national study that looked at all the at-risk or negative behaviors in adolescence. So there's drinking, smoking, drugs, premarital sex, depression, cutting, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders, theft, cheating, lying. I mean, you name all these things. And, and the teenagers you know, were scoring in all these areas, more or less. They began to notice through the study that the more positive adult role models an adolescent had, the lower the incidence of any of those behaviors. It's not the more friends they had. It's the more positive adults they had that brought the numbers down. What do you think the magic number was where when a child had that many positive adults in their life, the numbers almost across the board came down to zero? What do you think the number was? Two? Five? Three? Take a holy number. It's seven. It's seven. They don't know why, but they just see the numbers come down, they come down, they come down, they come down. Seven, the numbers drop markedly. So they continued to study. Guess how many positive adult role models the average adolescent has in their life? 1.3. Yeah, and that's a national study. 1.3. I mean, it's not even two. <laughs> right? That's like one in a dog. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You know, 2.5 kids. What is that all about? <laughs> two in an infant that's never going to grow up? You know, so 1.3, that's what they have. And you say, oh, okay. Well, we'll be okay. My husband and wife, we're there. We're two. Better than the national average. They need seven. Let me show you why. There were two loving parents. Loved their son. They were there for him. They drove him to soccer practice. They helped him with his studying. There for him. Not absentee. They structured their lives around being there for him. You would never think that the boy was unhappy. He had a loving home. He seemed to be happy in his endeavors. However... At school, between eighth grade and freshman year, he was cut out of his social circle. Cut out. He didn't know why. His parents were shocked to eventually find out that his depression had grown so bad that he was suicidal. They didn't know why. He didn't know why. But he was suicidal. And when asked, why didn't you tell your parents who love you? He said, yeah, I know, they love me. But that's why I couldn't tell him, because I didn't want to burden them with distress. 
he had decided that it would be better if he just didn't tell anybody and in the situation himself. Two doesn't do it. It takes seven. Now, I've asked Larissa and Amanda and Grant to come up and read you some letters that they did not write, so keep that in mind. Don't project these readings on them. But hear the voice of adolescence today. These are three notes or letters from teenagers that were written. And I hope it gives you some perspective into the life of them so that it will show you why we need to be gentle and tender and loving, compassionate, sharing our lives with them, encouraging, comforting, and urging them toward God, and not just telling them what to do and expecting them to do it. What I have to say about being a teenager may seem confusing or contradictory. But then again, what about being a teenager isn't confusing and contradictory? First of all, I almost agree with parents when they say that their teen knows everything. I often feel like I know more than my parents, and them not letting me do something is ridiculous. Teens reach a point where they will disregard what their parents say and will do what they want to do. Parents try to protect us, but they think we are too young to make big decisions on our own. I firmly believe that you have to make your own decisions about things and learn from your own experiences to ever truly learn and grow. There's no way that I would feel the way I do about smoking, drinking, dating, and other relationships if I hadn't been from my own experiences. Now, I know I just said how I believe I know a lot, but there's so much I don't know. Lately, I've realized how very much of a child I am. I have so much to learn, so much desire for consistency, and a great need for a happy, secure place I can call home. I am not a child. I am much younger than that. So yes, this does not contradict my frustration when people speak to me as if I'm a child. This may not make much sense to you, but it doesn't make much sense to me either. Thank you, Larissa. When it comes to high school life, most, most adults say, I understand, I was a teenager once, but that was once and this is now. It's much harder to live life now than ever. You have one true friend, the one who's always there for you when you cry. All the other friends are just there. They listen and are fun to be around, but you can't always trust all your friends because some will betray you. And they betray you in front of everyone on Facebook or text message or YouTube. More people are in your life, but you feel more alone and you can't trust anyone. Thanks, Amanda. I seem like I would fit in, but I'm not too popular. I try to fit in, fit in as best as I can. I think that I do a pretty good job. I just don't know what I do to not fit in. <clears throat> I may just be a, it may just be a stage in my life, but I never feel in the right place. This makes me feel so depressed, but I never show it. I, al- I always come off as a happy person to those I meet. People think I have the perfect life. I wear the right clothes. I hang with the cool crowd. My family is good. But the funny thing is, they don't know what I... They don't know that I cry myself to sleep every night because everyone's expectations are impossible. I struggle with keeping up with schoolwork. At school, everyone hides behind masks of insecurity, trying desperately to be cool. Life feels like a competition, one that forces me to be someone I'm not. When in the end, when, all, when will I stop feeling empty? Nobody knows, and I could not, and I could never tell them because I would. It would just make me feel like I failed the competition. Thanks, Grant. When I read letters like that, 
I understand why Paul really got it. Why encouraging, being gentle, tender, cherishing them, sharing your life with them and not just your information and knowledge. And the gospel that sets us free from all this pressure to be what we need to be to everyone else instead of just living under God's grace and knowing that he loves us and accepts us the way we are. It makes so much sense. And then I think, I'm the youth pastor. I got all these kids. How am I going to do that? And this past year, we've got a girl in our youth group who wanted to kill herself twice. I can't be there all the time for her. We've got another boy who was suicidal about a year ago, and when he found our youth group, he found what he calls his family outside of his family. He loves coming to church because he feels accepted by all the other kids. But the real kicker is he's starting to get to know other adults in the church outside of the youth ministry. He knows I care about him. But when he shows up and Greg says, hey, for the potluck today, I need your help in the kitchen. He says, oh, okay. How does he translate that? I matter to someone. And Greg knows my name. It's not even hard to do. Peter's not in his head because he knows. Just being in their life is not rocket science. It's not hard. It's just remembering their name and saying, how was your week? And remembering how their week was and following up a week later and saying, I know you can't tell me everything, but what can you tell me? I'm here to listen. That's how it works. This is how you build a nest around them. They don't see themselves as chickadees. Larissa's was, I feel all grown up. I got it all together. But underneath the I know everything is, I don't know anything, and I'm scared. I just come around them and help them. Help them learn how to fly in the nest. So... In my life, it looked like this. My parents got divorced when I was in junior high, and my mom was working very, very hard to provide for us and keep sending us to private school. So she just wasn't around much. She loved me, but she couldn't be there. As I think back about the adults that were in my life, I think some of them didn't seem to care at all, just kind of doing their own thing, didn't notice me. Not negative, but just didn't notice me. And then the others might have seemed like they had their own agenda for me. If I was on their team, they wanted me to win. And when I didn't win, maybe they didn't accept me. Or if I was in the school band, then it was great when I was doing well and we were doing these things, but maybe it was more about the conductor's experience leading us these places instead of just, hey, Todd, I'm so glad you're in the band. I know that it takes time to practice and you don't have a lot of time and you've got school work and thank you for your commitment. I think it's awesome what you're doing. Never once do I remember a comment like that. And it would have only taken 30 seconds to hear it. So I thought back, who are those adults? And there were two that came to mind pretty quick. Debbie and Ted. Would you stand up for just a, a brief moment? Because I know you want to sit back down. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm going to tell you something that I didn't think was going to be in the sermon until I started writing the sermon and thinking this through and thinking, oh, it's preaching back to me. We didn't live close enough for you to be in my life all the time. You couldn't come to my games. You couldn't come to graduations, things like that. But when you came through town to go to Joshua Tree to go rock climbing, you called me. You invited me to come. And when I got there, you fed me. I don't think you ever asked me to bring food. I probably didn't even say thank you. So now I'm telling you thank you for feeding me. (laughs) Because after climbing all day, I was hungry. (laughs) And French toast on Sunday morning is always good. (laughs) And that's always Sunday morning with the Hiddles. (laughs) You taught me to rock climb. I'll never forget the day where, Ted, you sent me up to do overhang direct. (laughs) 
And he said, by the way, use a long sling underneath. And he handed me a piece of gear and said, save this for around the corner. You're going to need it. And when I was up there freaking out about the swing I was going to take, that piece went right in that crack. And I knew you cared about me. But even more than that, the way you treated each other and the way you treated me and the way you treated other people just modeled what good marriage was supposed to be like, what a good husband was supposed to be like, what kind of woman I should be looking for. And I didn't know it, but I was learning how to fly with the nest that you were building around me. So thank you. I spoke to Alex on the phone, but I don't know if Alex is here. Is Alex Martin here? All right. Then is CJ here? Surprise. CJ, are you willing to expose yourself to this? All right. Come on up. Give CJ a hand. Okay. CJ, CJ volunteered to be the fill-in. You don't even know what we're going to do, do you? Okay. But obviously, you trust me enough to say, okay, he's not going to embarrass me. Otherwise, his whole sermon is junk. <laughs> right? Okay, I'm not going to embarrass you. But I do have... You've heard this sermon now about building the nest around you. And I just shared an example of thinking who the adults were in my life that kind of role modeled to me, that made me want to be like them, that made me want to be closer to God. Can you think of people in this church who are like that nest around you? Hold on. Can you think of anyone? Uh, my mom, my auntie Michelle, my sister, my dad. That's good. That's all family. Can you think of anyone else? That's no pressure. If the answer is no, then the answer is no. But can you think of anyone else in the church that has provided any kind of role modeling for you? Um, Mr. and Mrs. Guy. Okay. I would like the individuals that she named to come up here and stand around CJ right now, please. CJ, go ahead and stand right there in the middle. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six. How many does CJ need? One more. So Peter, you can't do this. Because he's like, I'll do it. I love the children. Is there anyone who would say, this makes sense? He's not trying to add more to my plate. He's not trying, trying to make my life harder. He's just saying, care about CJ. Are you family? That's the best. Well, you never know. So let's build a nest around here. Let's do that by making a circle and everybody holding hands. Okay? Hold hands. Make the circle. Debbie's jumping in. She's like, I'll be there for you, too. We're bumping this to eight. We're going to blow that statistic out of the water. Now, is everybody holding hands? No, you can be right there. Now, I'm going to step in here, because even though you might never see me again, I kind of need to be here to make this point. Okay, you see this little chickadee right here? This is you. Not really, but this represents you. All right? Now, we want you to learn to fly. We want you to learn to sing. 
so that your whole life is flying toward God, with God, and that you are singing for him just out of who you are. But we need to do this together, okay? So I'm going to hold your hand. And CJ, I'm going to ask you not to touch my finger, but to touch that little brass ring on the chickadee. Now, Richard. Oh, keep touching it. Who let go? She's cracked. When the nest breaks, the chickadee stops singing. Did you all hear that? CJ, say that real loud. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> now, what's your name? You're her sister. Is this your father? Raise your hands in the air. Now let go. She's analyzing. It's an electric current. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's what the power of God is in us. Now, Debbie. And what's your name? Diana. Number seven, Diana. Raise your hands real high. What happens when the nest breaks? The chickadee stops singing. Hold hands. Now, CJ, try to go life alone with just your friends. It is hard because they can't teach you to fly if they haven't learned how to fly themselves. What that means is your friends who are not adults can't help you become adults. Your friends who haven't gone through the same Christian struggles can't help you when you face that same struggle, can they? They love you and you love them for whatever that's worth, but you need a nest, don't you? Let go of the nest. So it's up to you. The question for all of us is, as parents, you need to ask yourself, who am I bringing into the life of my child to build a nest around them, knowing that we can't do it alone? This family has done that at this church. You have some of those individuals. Don't quit. As teenagers here, you need to ask, who are those adults in my life? I need to go get some. (laughs) And if you see some in this church and you say, ah, I don't really talk to Ted that much. I can vouch for Ted. Get to know the guy. He's a good guy to have in your life. And adults in this church who don't have kids, or Richard, you said yourself this morning, your oldest daughter is finishing her sophomore year at PUC, your youngest is finishing freshman year at Monterey Bay Academy. You said what? Empty nest. Empty nest. But then he also said we've been doing Pathfinders for six years, but we're not looking at quitting. So though his nest is empty and his kids are now in the nest at Monterey Bay Academy and other places and can come home here for you, he is providing a nest for others. <laughs> Let us pray. God, we pray for CJ. We thank you that her family has poured into her and that she has more than 1.3 people trying to build a nest. We thank you that you've done that through this church so that whether it happens in the world, at school, or on the team she's on, or the hobbies that she's in, it's at least happening here. I believe this is your way. I thank you, and I ask that CJ represent all of the youth in this church and that the members of this circle represent the rest of this church so that everyone will see it as our Christian duty and responsibility out of love to build the nest and help them learn to fly in it. It's in your name that we pray, Father. Amen. Thank you.
Father, I pray that this church that has already built a nest, like your Apostle Paul was building it in the churches that you planted through him, that we would all learn to fly toward you, with you, and with each other. Amen. May you leave this place thinking about each other differently. May you think of how a nest is comprised of many things and then all of you have a place in it. And my hope is that as the youth grow up and leave, go to college, go find work, marry, move elsewhere, that they always know that this is a nest where whenever they return, they are encouraged and comforted and urged to be like Christ. Build that for them and live in it together.